welcome to episode 87 of the Massive Attack Podcast. 87? I know. Flying through these numbers. <laughs> I'm Joe. With me, as always, is Mitch. G'day. And this is our continuation of our 2017 end-of-year media roundup. Ooh. If you noticed, last episode was 86. That was the first part. So if this is your first episode, go back and listen to that other one, and it will make a little bit more sense. A bit more. But anyway, we are going to continue with our 2017 wrap-up and talk about the things that we liked and the things that we did and stuff so from in the year 2017, did you go and see anything live? We talk about TV, we talk about listening, but did you actually go to the theatre or anything like that? I started the year off with a little bit of theatre. You cultured little shit. I did, and I went and saw Kinky Boots, which is the Cindy Lauper written musical. She wrote the book. Did she? That's the term. Okay. If you write the music for a theatre play, that's the book. Ah, okay. Bit of culture there. There you go. I didn't even know that. But yes, there was a movie in the 80s, 90s? 90s. 90s that's set in the 80s based on a story which is true of a struggling shoe factory in northern England that the the guy that runs it dies and he passes it on to his son and his son really doesn't understand how to make shoes and looks like the company's going to go out of business. And then he meets up with a drag queen and they make boots for drag queens. And it becomes a booming industry and they save the factory. Nice one, cobbler. (laughs) The right use of the word. (laughs) But the movie itself is not bad. Not bad. But it kind of would have been better if it was a musical. Okay. Because there is no real music in the movie. Despite the fact that the main drag queen that stars in it is performing in a drag show where she sings and stuff. And there's only a couple of little scenes with her singing. So Cindy Lauper liked the idea and wrote a musical. Wrote the book, as you say. Yes. (laughs) And it is really well written. Okay. You can see the Cindy Lauper influence in it Mm -hmm. or you can hear the Cindy Lauper influence in it. Yep. But it, it itself is pretty much the same story as the movie. Mm, with, with songs. With songs mm. and added... Choreographed. Choreographed and not just one drag queen, but a troop of drag queens. Yep. And I must say, they were spectacular. Mm. They were probably the best part of the, the show. They had a lot of character and all of the numbers that they did were very good. Fair enough. Mm. Well, but I, I saw that early in the year and I'm very glad I did. Well, speaking of Cindy Lauper, mm-hmm. we both... On separate occasions, yes. Yes. You saw Cindy Lauper and Blondie as they toured, as did I. You saw them in a indoor situation. Yes. And you... Yeah, I was... So Cindy Lauper and Blondie came out here together. I was very much looking forward to seeing Blondie, and my wife was very much looking forward to seeing Cindy Lauper. Yep. And I think both of us were blown away just by how good Cindy Lauper was. Yep. And both of us were a little bit disappointed with how Blondie was. Okay, fair enough. I think Deborah Harry probably has done too much substances and has strained her voice a little bit too much over the years. Mm-hmm. Because for me, she just didn't cut it like yep. she does on record. Whereas well, Cindy Lauper definitely sounded excellent. Well, you saw them at the tennis centre. I did. I saw them at, on the green at a winery in an outdoor situation with a fucking storm. The clouds was a spot act, and ironically, the clouds shut them down. They had to get off stage because of lightning strikes. But it was muddy, it was miserable, but it was fine. Like, it was a unique experience. Blondie was on first, and you told me beforehand, because you saw him first, and you said you didn't like Blondie at all. She had nothing. And I can I, I, I can see what you mean, but I also understood that going in, that it's like, she's got 10 years on Cindy, and that's... 10 years of hard living on Sydney. So I was like, I wasn't expecting Debbie Harry from 1978. I knew that we're talking a 65-plus-year-old woman 
who's lived hard. Yeah. So I was like, I wasn't expecting a lot. I just wanted to say, I've seen her do Atomic Life. That's all I wanted. And I got it, damn it. And it was fine. Yep. Yeah. You know, and you're seeing it with like-minded people. You're at a winery. It's pissing down with rain. They shut the show down for an hour and a bit. So there's nothing else to do but drink. So everyone's in a good mood. Mm. So no, they were fine. Like you're seeing her songs. They were great. And like you said, Cindy Lauper is a professional. She yeah, can she put on a show. So she headlined. And yeah, it was it was good. My, my wife absolutely adores Cindy Lauper. She's seen him a few times. So for her, it was just going back to the well to see her again. It was the first time I've seen her. And very good. Very professional. I, I liked it. Obviously, more than you did, as far as the Bondi side of it goes. I very much like Cindy Lauper. I just was a little bit disappointed. But, yeah, that's what I expected from Debbie Harry. I didn't expect any more. My mum's seen, like, Neil Diamond plenty of times and Tom Jones and people like that. But she's like, I wouldn't go again if they came back. Mm. Because it's not the one I saw 25 years ago. You know, they, they just can't do it anymore. But it's my chance. Like, I saw Sex Pistols about... 20 years ago because they did the Filthy Luca tour because why not? And it's sort of like, well, I can't go back to the 70s and see them. So this is my only chance of seeing them. So that's why I went. And that's the same for Blondie. I just wanted to tick it off the list to say, I've seen Blondie live. Hmm. And I don't know how much Blondie it was. It's Debbie Harry. I don't know how many band members were actually original Blondie guys. But oh, it was the original guitarist. What's his name? Chris Stein? I don't know. Definitely. But they also had another guitarist on stage to do all the heavy lifting. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, because we've talked about it in previous years, how important Blondie is thanks to the hip-hop family tree. Mm. And they are iconic. And I'm just wrapped that I've seen them to say I have seen Blondie. Yeah. So, for me, that was enough. Exactly. Say, yeah. Mm. So we that's that's what you saw. I saw a play. You've seen a couple of A musical plays. called Aladdin. Mm. Based on a little company called Disney. They did a little animated film 20 years ago. I fucking hated it. Really? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I don't think I've actually talked to you since you saw it. So Yeah, and, and there's a there's a problem. Yeah. My wife and I went to Disneyland four years ago. And in California Adventure, they have a big theatre. And in the theatre, there's a free show you can go and see. So we're just walking around, we're doing all the rides, we're doing all the things. It's like, oh, Aladdin here at two o'clock. All right, we'll go in and see it. I don't know what's going on. And it was an hour plus live show of Aladdin. And it was amazing. Fucking amazing. Like it had puppets, it had stages, it had huge casts and whatever. And it was just phenomenal. And it was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm sure I teared up more than once. I love the original Aladdin movie too, by the yep. way. I adore it. So I'm watching this play and it's like, this is great. Like just the use and the, the money they spent on it and the extravaganza and all that sort of stuff. I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. And I knew it was a Broadway play as well. And I thought this must be just a condensed version of it or something. This is, mm-hmm. this is, this is cool. So when they announced Aladdin's coming to Melbourne, I was like, fuck yeah, I want that again. That was fucking awesome. It was shit. It was half the production values. Like the staging looked terrible. Lee, I thought I was watching Jersey Boys with the accents that the – people were putting on okay the person playing jasmine had no fucking power whatsoever in her voice it was just like what are we watching i'm looking at my wife halfway in the intermission going it's just not is it just me or is it not good like other people love it but mm. i have that point of reference yeah the one i saw originally had puppets that had a monkey like a puppet monkey as his companion they did the flying carpet and all this sort of stuff yeah this didn't have i mean they did have a flying carpet but not the puppet version kind of thing but this one, they sort of brought in other th- other street urchins in the same way they brought in a troop of drag queens for your show. Like, they were sort of the companions instead of using the animals. Okay. Or that sort of stuff. And, like, oh, eh. and there was more songs that I didn't know that weren't very good, written by the same guy, but, you know, just mm. I didn't know them. And just, yeah, it was just like, there was no tiger. And it was just like, this was flat for me, only because I had a point of reference, which yeah. was phenomenal. And this was like, wow. wow. That's a shame. Yeah, so it was a real letdown because a few weeks before, 
I'll go on to my other one. Yeah. Probably about a month before I saw Book of Mormon, and that is one of the greatest theatre experiences I've been to. Yeah. I, no, I've that, heard lots of good things about Book of Mormon. I think you've got a couple of weeks to still play it. I can't recommend it enough. I really can't. You would love it. Yep. It is so good. So it's written by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the guys behind South Park. Correct. And it's phenomenal. I mean, you've seen South Park. You've yeah. seen what they can do. I mean, Trey Parker, I think it is, the blonde one of the two. Yep. He's a frustrated Broadway guy. You can tell. I mean, the first thing they ever did was Cannibal the Musical. So it's in their blood. They want to make it. And this felt right. Like every song, like you go see a musical show and there's songs, there's songs, and then there's a showstopper. Mm. And generally it's before the intermission, you'll have a showstopper and all that sort of, and you have your reprises. There's rules to sort of the way musicals work. Every song in this felt right because it was familiar, because it's sort of pulling from classic other ones. They're not, they don't sound exactly like one, but it feels like, oh, that feels like it's from Gilbert and Sullivan. That feels like it's from Roger and Hammerstein. That feels like it's from Cats or something like that. Mm. It, it just, okay. fe- everything's familiar enough to go, that feels right. That's a big corker of a song. And then the next one comes along going, that's a really good song too. And then the next one's like, that's a kick-ass song. So all of it, they're going, this is great. And it's fucking funny. Ridiculously funny. Mm. Just, yeah, it's phenomenal. I cannot recommend it enough. It is phenomenal. Yes. Aladdin poo. But Book of Mormon, (laughs) amazing. Absolutely amazing. My sister ended up going with my mum and there's a lot of the use... Talking about clitorises, dropping the F word, dropping the C word a couple of times, you know, so it's a bit confronting in that way if you're not ready for it. So your sister was a little bit offended. Well, she was uncomfortable (laughs) because she's watching it with my mother and our auntie and uncle and stuff like that. So it was a bit funny in that way. Hmm. But yeah, if you can squeeze it in in the next couple of weeks while it's still here, please do it. Okay. Just quickly, just before Christmas, I actually had a great experience. Now, we've known each other a long time. We have. We used to go see bands a lot. We used to go out and do stuff. Now we got kids that we can't do a fucking thing. But I still try. And luckily, a friend of mine came over from America. He was here. We were catching up. Had a very nice dinner at the Squire's Loft. His wife paid. It was fantastic. Then we're having a few drinks. And later on, I was like, and I knew it was coming. I follow Tony Martin on Twitter. And Damien Cow's Disco Machine was doing their annual Christmas show at the Northcote Social Club the following Saturday. And I said to my mate, you doing anything Saturday? And he goes, no. I was like, do you want to see Damien Cow's Disco Machine? He goes, what is that? And I said, it's one of the guys from Tism. It's his band. And he goes, we were drunk. He had his wife's credit card. She has a lot of money. He goes, buy five <laughs> tickets. So I bought five tickets. One of them was meant to be for my wife. It's like, she's not going to come. And he goes, we'll convince her. It's like, she's not going to come. Anyway, needless to say, we used three of those five tickets. <laughs> but I adore Tism. I saw Tism, I don't know how many times in the 90s. A lot. A lot, lot. And yeah, so this is Damien Cowell, who's one of the members of Tism. It's his, his new act. And then he's been around a couple of years. And I like what I've seen. I haven't actually gone out of my way to buy the album or anything like that. But it's like, oh... And I know Tony Martin's his friend. And it, like his last album, he said, like, you know, Miff Warhurst, Henry Rollins, and Sean McAuliffe, and people like that all appearing on the album in some capacity, way, shape, or form. And Tony Martin really spooks it a lot. And then I found out Tony Martin is the dancer for the group. <laughs> so, yeah, he comes out and he, he sings on a couple of other songs or does bits and pieces. But yeah, he comes out in like the red tracksuit with a hoodie and Tony Martin's just it dances. up. It's <laughs> just. I was like, I've got to see this. And I didn't want to go by myself because that's a bit daggy. But yeah, my mate was up for it. So I sweet. So I was like, cool. They weren't coming until 11. And I'm like, oh, my mates, they're sort of jet lagged. I don't know how it's going to go. Josh Earl was the opening act. Then there was an act called The Burnt Sausages Next. And then it was Damien Cowell. I'm thinking, and you know the pressure when you take people out to something you want to see? Yeah. And you have no idea what it is? Yeah. I was feeling a bit 
bad in the tummy, thinking this better be <laughs> fucking good. I mean, my mate's very happy-go-lucky. He loves he, – he's excitable is the best way to put it, but his wife was coming as well. I was like, oh, please be good, please be good. So we turned up and we saw the last two or three songs of Josh Earl, and they were really funny. Like, Josh Earl I only knew was the second host of Spicks and Specs, and I think he's quite funny. But he did some really good comedy, musical comedy. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And my friends were there, and I'm checking in constantly, and they were laughing. So I was like, good, good, good. And then it's the burnt sausages. And I'm like, I don't even know what they are. They close off the stage, put a curtain across. And when they start, the curtain pulls back and there is a giant silver tray with three band members dressed as sausages covered in glad wrap. And they burst out crescendo building music. They burst out of the glad wrap and start singing a song called Burnt Sausages. And the guitarist's got his guitar inset in a giant plastic fork. You just took it in. <laughs> and it was like, wow. And it's sort of a punky, rocky song. I sort of played it before you yep. before. It sort of just rocks. It's not clean. It's not anything. But it's like, burnt sausages, burnt sausages, burnt sausages, warm on the inside, burnt. And yeah, it kind of sounds like a lot of other things, but yeah. it was it was clever enough. And the crowd are a tism crowd. Yeah. And they just went with it because they were so committed to the sausage and the foil and the glad wrap and the fork. You just sort of go, fuck it. Yeah. And it was a tism crowd. It was a Christmas show. It was like, all right. So you're getting into it. And I'm there with my mate and he's into it. He's punching the air. He's singing along burnt sausages. You know, you get the gist of the song pretty quickly. I was like, oh, I can relax. And then they said every song was about sausages. There was one about a total fire ban. There's one about the sausage sizzle of Bunnings. And they did one about sauce. And they had two backup dancers come out in red sequin outfits with giant two-litre things of sauce with sequins coming out of it. And they had an interpretive dance with the sauce. They go off stage. They come back later on as onions. They come back later on and the dude's dressed as a giant piece of bread. And he looks like a like a manta ray or something like that. And at the end, you've got a crescendo. You've got the sauce people coming out. You've got onions. You've got the bread. You've got someone dressed as tongs. And it's just ridiculous. So you've got the guy playing the fork and and the keyboard is actually looks like a barbecue and it's just ridiculous like they are so committed to this one idea and have managed to release a whole album which i did buy <laughs> but they were selling merch and it was awesome i was wearing my melbourne city wrestling t-shirt and i got two comments on it saying great shirt it's like thank you, well, you go. so a sausage told me i had a great shirt but i i bought they had t um stickers for sale too and it was like bread kennedy's <laughs> um, food fighters and it was like, sort of weird it's just like just the this. whole concept was just awesome they were selling you know bread tags that your little plastic tag you put around the bread yep. they turned them into earrings and were selling them with burnt sausages written on and <laughs> or printed on and, it was, and there was a mystery box it was this cardboard box with bits and st- stuff and you paid a dollar to have a look what was in the box it was just like weird concept <laughs> but it was like I was so happy that that was done and it was like 30 bucks for this ticket so it was Nothing, you know, it was, yeah. it was good enough. So I was wrapped. I was like, that was an entertaining hour. Everyone was into it. They were throwing shapes out, like little <laughs> mini packets of shapes and things to the crowd at some point. And it was just like, go home now. I'm happy. Like yep. this, this has okay. been it, you know. And then Damien Cal came out and he was awesome. Like it, it was great. Like yep. it was like really clever. Like, you know, more than just being sausage based songs. It had the same cleverness of Tism, but with a different sort of mentality. But mm. if it was a Tism, I mean, no, you'd still believe it. Yeah. Obviously, he was one of the strong influences on Tism because you could tell. Like, mm. musically, it was a bit more probably mainstream because he was pulling a lot of stuff from disco or rock, okay. you know, in that way. Like, literally, it's part of it. There was one song where it was like a blue light disco we went to. Someone played The Clash back to back with the village people, and he got this mesh up of punk and disco. And he, He's actually he was singing two songs, and this was you know real 
disco songs and punk songs together and you were singing the punk lyrics in the disco beat and the disco lyrics in the punk beat. It was really, cool. really clever. Mm. So that there was that and he did other songs as well, the new ones. And because it's a Christmas show, he had some Christmas carols in there that was quite – the way he did them was just really good. And Tony Martin obviously coming out and dancing. And, yeah. and the, the band was tight too. Okay. Like they were good. And it was just – and there was an audiovisual element too. So all the lyrics were on the screen as well. So you could sort of come along and just see how That's clever nice. he is. And so glad I went. Mm. I just miss going to gigs. It just made me realise how much just standing up and watching a band play in a pub is like, oh yeah, I used to do this all the time. Yeah. But so but good. Do you think if you saw the burnt sausages again, it would have the same effect? No, it was heroin. It, it, no, it it's just, like, just that one. It's that. You can't get that feeling again. No. See him for the first time and you're going, yeah, you can't catch it again. The only thing you can do is take people, introduce it to it and sort of get the rush of watching them experience for the first time. I mean, it was fun. Mm. I can sort of go, how would you make them work again? Like, but I looked at it, I thought the mummy knew, but the CD that was actually pressed in 2015. So they've been around a while. Okay. Yeah, so haven't seen many bands this year, I don't think, but this year, in only a few months. Yeah, you've got a a big run. We do. I'm, I'm seeing Queen. And Card of the Unstoppable Sex Machine, Pop Leader Self, and Caligula. Caligula. Mm. So, yeah, bring it on. In the same week, isn't it? Oh, they're close. Mm. Yeah. So, oh. so that, that, that was it for me. It was great. It was recent, yeah. so I'm still excited mm. about it, as you could tell from my talking. You know, if I saw it in January, I probably wouldn't be this excited. You remember. No. Mm. Well, you mentioned that you were wearing your Melbourne City Wrestling t shirt. Yes, which so is, uh, it looks like the Melbourne Bitter mm. logo, but it's Melbourne City Wrestling. Mm. Yeah. So we probably should mention a little bit about Melbourne City Wrestling. Well, it's been a big year for them, I think. Well, it's been a huge year for them. Mm, well, yeah, I suppose huge would be the word. <laughs> well, yes. Melbourne City Wrestling is our local wrestling company here in Melbourne. One of. One of. Probably the best. The. <laughs> well, it is. It, it is the best of the local Melbourne scene. Yep. And it is the one that we have been associated with the most because we know a lot of the talent. Yes. And you are very good friends with the booker because yes. he is the host of your other podcast. <laughs> Correct. So he had been away from it for a little while, and now Chris Fresh is now back behind the book. Mm-hmm. And this He's year, the Sydney Lauper, <laughs> <laughs> he is. I'm sure he'd appreciate that too. But this year has been a lot of hard work for them, and it is paid off with the fact that they have multiple internationals out here, and they have made the most of those internationals. Mm-hmm. Whereas a couple of other big tours have brought internationals out, and they haven't done quite as well because they've been under that mentality of. Yeah, we'll just throw two internationals on as the headliners and the Aussies are kind of like the undercard. Mm. Whereas this, they really showcased the Aussies by putting them against the internationals. So earlier in the year, we had Will Ospreay, who is a cruiserweight from England that wrestles predominantly in Japan. He came out here and yeah, he's, put on... Oh, I mean, I, you're much more around the international scene than I am. Yeah, And Will Ospreay, from what I know, is probably the greatest high flyer at the moment, doing the crazy high-flying sort of stuff. Like, if you want to show a highlight reel to someone who doesn't understand wrestling and you want to say the athleticism that wrestling can be, he's what you show people? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. Well, every year... Spot fest. Yes, you would say that. Every year, New Japan do a best of the Super Juniors tournament, which is where all the light heavyweight, cruiserweight-type wrestlers who are that athletic style of wrestling... Mm -hmm get together and they put on a tournament and he was the youngest person to ever win that and the first British-born star to win that. So he's a bit of a big deal as far as cruiserweight wrestling goes. So when they announced that he was coming out, that was a bit of a coup. Yep. And he got to do two shows with them here in Melbourne and he is also coming out again in February this year to do another show for them. Excellent. But bigger than that, they also managed to get the current heavyweight champion from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Okada. And Pro Wrestling Illustrator's number, number one, one wrestler, wrestler exactly, for, the for the year, year. 2017. 
Yes, and part of two of the highest rated matches from Dave Meltzer gave him six out of five stars for mm. one of his matches. But yeah, Okada came out here and broke box office numbers by making the Melbourne City Wrestling website crash yep. and they had to move to a bigger venue. Mm-hmm. They were going to do it at their Essendon venue, but the, the demand for ticket sales crashed their website and luckily they managed to move it to the Thornbury Theatre, which is their bigger venue, and that sold out within hours. Minutes. Probably. 28 minutes or something. Really? That yeah. quick? Yeah. And it was it was worth it. It was great to see someone of that calibre come to Australia and put on the same sort of match that he would in yeah, Japan. We've been, like I said, friends for 20 years. We've been watching wrestling. To, we met at wrestling shows. Yep. So we've been watching wrestling together for 20 years. And there's been the odd show over the years where uh, internationals come out. John St. Paul or St. Peter or something. You know, <laughs> yes. Big names like that. <laughs> but we've had like two Cole Scorpio come out. And they come out and they do it in a pissy little hall with a shitty crowd. And they're famous for doing the 450 splash. And he's like, next time. Yep. Like he gets on the mic, I'll, I'll give it to you next time. Yeah. It's like, no, we paid to see it now, not because it's a shitty crowd, you don't do it. And I totally understand why he didn't do it. Why would you go and do a risky move for no one? Mm. I, I get it. I, I, I do. But the calibre of the shows and the quality of the work is now... Uh up there, you know, that's what the, the guys seem to be doing. When you know, we put on an MCW show, we are as good as the rest of the world. Because there used to be a term Aussie wrestling, and it seems to be it's not a good thing. No, it's a little bit derogatory. Yeah, it's like it's like oh, Aussie like Aussie hip hop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of like oh yeah, there's wrestling and then Aussie wrestling, and you know, I understand it's a bit substandard. Yeah. So it's not that, and that's what and the people behind MCW do a great job. You know how they present the staging, how they do the the, the lighting rig, yeah. the production, and also there is the back end and the fact that there is a streaming network you can watch all this stuff online, and the video packages put together, and um, you know the finished product you can go and buy, you can go watch it online now. You yeah, pay exactly. for it and you can watch it online, and yeah. it is a top shelf production. Yeah, the actual in-ring talent has come leaps and bounds since the days when we were wrestling in oh god yeah you know festivals and stuff like that. They are almost professionals. Oh, they are. Hmm. They're at they're, they're at a level and they have competed overseas. A lot of them. They've travelled. They've come back. Brought back what they've learned. They're teaching others. And we've seen Will Ospreay. We've seen Chavo Guerrero. Yeah, and we've seen you know, Akata. Yeah, all wrestle local guys, and they've held their own. No yep. issue. Yeah, like and they not can... just that. We've also had uh, Marty Scroll came out last year for Melbourne City Wrestling. We've had Trent Seven, who's like a big English wrestler that was also in the WWE UK tournament, come out here just last month. For the December show, they had Tony Storm, who was actually an Australian, but she is the current Progress World Champion, and, and she is a Japanese there's world champion. There's at least two MCW girls working in NXT at the moment, yep. and a couple of others over there at the moment who have passed through MCW quite a bit. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's definitely world class yep. in that way, and full credit to the guys for putting this on and doing so well about it. And it's a great show. It yeah. really is a great show. So if you want to see a wrestling show, MCW is worth checking out. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Well done, guys. Yes. All right. So that's it for live shows. Let's get back on the couch. Okay. Well, we'll have a brief talk about books and comics. I went through what I've read this year, and I don't think I've actually read a single comic all the year. paper? No. I have read the paper. Not a physical paper. Oh, actually, that's not true. I do read the paper occasionally when I get to go out for breakfast, so Mm. I sit and read the paper. But I don't think I've actually read a comic this year. No. 
I read a few old comics that I managed to dig up again, mm. but nothing new. Uh, I don't think I even read all my free comic book day comics from back in May. Mm. I did read a couple of novels though this year, oh. and I actually started reading a novel, but then I decided that I would find the audiobook version of it, and I listened to The Disaster Artist. Yep. Now, we're both big fans of the movie The Room. Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Yes. yes. And The Disaster Artist is written by Greg Sestero, mm-hmm. who played Mark in The Room. And the audiobook is actually narrated by Greg. And he does a spot-on Tommy Wiseau version when he's doing the voice for Tommy Wiseau's yep. lines. And The Disaster Artist, the book, is basically a bit of a backstory of how he got to meet Tommy and what it was like filming The Room, which many people have actually said is the best worst movie of all time, or the worst yep. Best movie, mm. and now it has become a motion picture in itself. Yeah, but yeah, something about the audiobook it just hooked me. It, it's amazing. Yeah, it's I, a, I did it too. Yeah, you, you got me on it, and I was like, all right, I'm going to listen to this. It's eleven hours long, but I think I almost listened to it straight. Yeah, uh, I definitely did it over the course of a weekend. Yeah, it's captivating. Now, now you and I love the room, like we said. We've watched it a lot. Yeah, and I've listened to podcasts about it. I've you know, so I know a lot about Tommy Wiseau as far as reading the wikis and all those sort of things. So it's like I was I was around the whole cult of the movie and all this sort of stuff. And Tommy and this just painted a great picture. Now I don't know how much Greg wrote it. It's ghostwritten as well. I think there's another writer on board. Thematically, it works beautifully as a book. Yeah, because it's not a love story, but it almost comes across as that. It's a relationship book. Yeah. Because Greg is a guy who meets Tommy at acting classes. Yeah. And he sees this Tommy character as this guy who is has no, no inhibitions. He just sort of lets it go. He's, he's fascinated by him. And he goes, I, I sort of want to be with you. And Tommy is just a fascinating character. And Greg sort of becomes or goes on his way to becoming an actor. Like he's, he's trying and he goes to Hollywood and he gets little pieces of parts here and there. Where Tommy's just this strange character who doesn't let on about his age, doesn't let on about where he comes from. You don't know much about him. He seems to have money, but you don't. he doesn't like asking people asking personal questions. But he always seems to have stuff going on. And it's just all weird. And you get this sort of relationship between the two of them and it's a very much just how it plays out and then how the movie gets made and it's just bizarre but there's a, a lot of the story and it's told in different ways where it's sort of like this the now and then the flashback and you're sort of getting gist of where you're at but it's it's it just works really well and it's sympathetic to this tommy who's a he's got problems <laughs> Like, there's, there's issues. It's weird. Like, you don't know. He's not a normal character, and the movie's not normal, and you can't describe that there's bad movies out there, but The Room is such a unique take. There's nothing goes on, but it's every scene has something in it that's entertaining if you want a bad movie and you want to pull something from it. I've had conversations in animated GIFs with friends, just be <laughs> animated GIFs, just by using from, from The Room. You can't purposely make a movie this bad, or if you can, he's a genius. So you don't know. So there's a lot of stuff like behind the scenes you're realising even how much more messed up this movie is than the story that it takes. So it, it's, yeah, it's a fantastic book and it's a great companion piece of the movie. Hmm. So, I, yeah, it's really good and I'm glad I glad I listened to it. Because, yeah, like you said, him putting on the voice adds so much more because I'm not much of a reader anyway when it comes to that. So, yeah, yeah nah, it, was good. it was good. But I'll just quickly talk about comics for a while. I've been getting back into Superman. Okay. This year, Superman has become really good again. There's two Superman titles that I read, which is Superman and Action Comics, and it feels like good comics. Yeah, so that, that's been really good and something that only the second issue has just come out, and that's Doomsday Clock, is Superman related and it's a DC comic. It's a 12-issue maxi-series, what they would call, and it's bringing the Watchmen universe into the DC universe, which sounds terrible. The Watchmen is almost the perfect comic book. 
A lot of people, you know, for years it's been the top of the best graphic novel list, blah, 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 blah. Then they bought out a movie that's incredibly faithful to the comic. And now the comic sort of just isn't important anymore because you've got this mediocre movie about it. And Alan Moore, he knows the score, but he also... He wrote this comic back in 1986 and he wanted the rights to it and all this sort of stuff. And it's a big kerfuffle. DC screwed him over and typical Alan Moore since cracked the shits and walked away from it and all this sort of stuff. And that's fine. Now, now people are touching his property and he's not happy. People shouldn't touch it, which is fine. I totally understand why. But what this is, they got the rights to these comics from a, they bought, DC Comics bought Charlton Comics and Charlton Comics had all these characters. So Rorschach is actually based on a character called The Question and all these, Dr. Manhattan's based on Captain Adam. So there's all these different characters that he's just ripping off anyway. So it's yeah. not like you own the original idea. Yeah. And well, isn't the main guy kind of Batman anyway? Uh, no, he's Blue Beetle. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's all derivative in a way. So I was sort of like, but everything's derivative in a you know. Yeah. I mean, he reinvented Swamp Thing by just taking everything that was done before by the creators and just, oh, no, it turned on his head. Yeah. And it's, like, it's awesome what he did, but it's sort of like it's almost disrespecting what had gone before. And one of his biggest successes in the 2000s was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Which is pilfering characters like from yeah from, from everything else. Yeah. So I was like, you, you can't do that. <laughs> Maybe it's because they're dead, like because they? it's so old that it doesn't matter. But yeah, it's sort of weird. So they brought out this book called Doomsday Clock, and it's no one really knew what it was going to be. So I was sort of like, oh, this is risky. Jeff Johns writing it, very good writer. So I was sort of like, and Gary Frank's on art. So I was like, oh, it's a big ticket book, but. Is it going to work? And everyone was shocked because the first issue was pretty damn good. Like, okay. it felt right. Like, it's like, all right, this could work in the Watchmen universe. This feels and reads properly. It feels good. So, the second issue just came out and I'm still enjoying it. So, I was like, this is okay. I okay. But, yeah, so it's 12 issues. So, it's going to be this time next year. I'll tell you if it was worth it. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. So, yeah, comics I got back into. I'm not going to rave on everything I'm reading, but it just feels, for comics for me, I just sort of read a bunch and just mm. sort of. Just get it through. So it's not like, oh, you got to read this. I don't have a hip-hop family tree to talk about this year or anything like that that I can think of. Okay. You know, so, yeah, I was sort of been a bit off. Maybe Puzzle Quest and Sing have killed me a bit. But, yeah, not reading as much comics as I was, but I'm getting back into it now and Superman's been fun. It, it's like, it feels like I was reading comics back in the 90s for me. It just feels right. Okay. Well, should we jump into movies? Why not? There's something I have done this year. Well, before we jump into the comic movies, do you want to actually talk about the Disaster Artist movie? All right. Yes. There's All right. There's a movie called – Tommy Wise, I did a movie called The Room. <laughs> no, no. Yes. So, The Disaster Artist is the movie by James Franco, directed by James Franco, starring James Franco, about Tommy Wiseau's The Room, directed by <laughs> Tommy Wiseau. No, anyway. Uh, yeah. So, apparently, James Franco and that were fans of The Room, and then they read – Oh, no, yeah, I think he read the book first before even seeing the movie and then just became okay. a fan of the story and then saw it and goes, I've got to make this movie. So he bought the option rights to make the movie and it's a passion project for James Franco. And I was lucky enough to go to the Cinema Nova here in Melbourne. They're, they're the same cinema that the first Saturday of the month they do midnight screenings of The Room, which everyone comes along with their plastic spoons and participates. They bought out Greg, the writer of the book, to present the movie. So it was actually two or three weeks before it got a release here properly. It came out and he did a Q&A. And I think it was only meant to be one performance, but they yeah, did no, it over no. three days in the end. They got they such sold. demand for it. Exactly. So you couldn't come, unfortunately, because it was your son's birthday. Yes. So I did go because 
stuff your son. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was great. So there was a bit of a Q&A with Greg at the start, which was good. And the movie's great. Like it, it's, it really is a, not an underdog story, but there is a character piece. Not so much Greg, but more the Tommy character. But it's interesting. And it's good to listen to the book first because there were certain things they didn't put in the movie because it wasn't important. Yeah. You know, it's great in the book. Like, they're really good bits, but you've, you've only got so much time. So they can't do everything. So I would recommend the book first and seeing the movie, but it doesn't really matter. But And I think it probably helps if you've seen the room. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> you probably don't have to. It would be interesting to see this and then go and watch the room. Hmm. But you go, what's all the fuss about? Yeah. But yeah, it's... Because the story behind The Room is the the amazing thing. And we actually went in to watch The Room after listening to the Bad Movie Fiends talk about The Room. So we were, were aware of everything going in and that helped, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you went into the room cold, yeah. and if the room you watch the room on your own, yeah, it you, probably wouldn't have just, the same effect. No, it's definitely a get together because I've introduced it to people, and I love that. It's the same way burnt sausages. I would go and introduce it to people, but it's not something you just you know. I can't. Oh, you go listen to this CD. It just doesn't work. No, no. yeah, I can't help recommend it enough. It's really good. And James Franco did a fantastic job. And it's funny because everyone's got their Tommy Wiseau impersonation. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. You know, that, the over-the-topness of that. And Franco's actually a bit more restrained sometimes. Okay. And as Greg said in the Q&A, he found a bunch of tapes. Now, if you know the room, he set up a situation where he was recording onto audio tapes or the phone messages. Yeah. And that's something he actually did in real life. Okay. So he had tapes and tapes and tapes. And this is in the book. Yeah. What's not in the book, Greg said he actually took one. There was one where he was it was just him talking to himself, telling him where he wants to be, and it was really insightful into the Tommy Wiseau character. This could be apocryphal, he could be bullshitting, I don't know. But he had this one, so he kept that audio cassette, and he actually gave it to James Franco. And it was a great insight into Tommy, because he wasn't meant to have it, but this was his, letting his you know, speaking his soul to himself, essentially. So... Like all impersonations, they get out of hand, like Shatner or any of those sort of things. Whereas it's probably actually a more nuanced performance and probably more accurate to what Tommy actually talks like, as opposed to everyone's version of Tommy Wiseau. But yeah, really good movie. Entertaining. And the last credit sequence is... Uh, pissing myself laughing but with a lot of things with movies it's the audience you see it with because mm. I saw Baywatch this year and it was a premiere like a public premiere not star studded gala or anything but you know there was free drinks free food free popcorn they had beach balls in people are hitting around so everyone was in the right mood and it was full. So I laughed at it and I thought it was a fine comedy. It was, you know, whatever. I, I enjoyed it. I've heard other people went and saw it when it was on release and they're in a, you know, empty cinema with four other people in it and they said it was absolute plops. And it was sort of like, okay, maybe you need that audience experience to make things work sometimes. Like, yes, it's not a great movie, but I didn't hate it where they hated it. So I don't know. So I saw The Disaster Artist in a full room with room fans. Mm. So they laughed at all the appropriate bits and things like that. And it just makes the movie better. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't actually been to the movies a lot this year. And I think most of the movies that I have seen, we've seen, both of us have seen at the cinema. So mm-hmm. I'll go through a few of the other ones that I've seen at home. Now, I have seen a few kids' movies this year. Mm-hmm. And most of them didn't really jump out at me. Mm-hmm. I was quite excited for the Lego Batman movie. But uh-huh. then when that came out, I was a little bit disappointed. Mm-hmm. My kids enjoyed it. I Not so much. Yep. They really enjoyed Captain Underpants. And on watching that, I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> Even though I have read the book because I read it to my, my son when he was probably about seven, mm-hmm. I think, when it first came out. It's very similar to the book. Yep. But 
yeah, just not for me. However, there was one kids movie that came out. I think it actually came out last year and I watched Sailor. it. Sailor? No, that, that's a movie about kids, but it's not a kids movie. <laughs> but there was a, a movie that came out earlier this year called Kubo and the Two Strings mm-hmm. that I think is loosely based on Japanese mythology and it follows a kid that can do origami and the origami becomes real. Okay. And it's totally all done by Westerners, so there's, there's no real Japanese influence to it. It's not like it's a yep. an anime film. But it's the story of a Japanese boy that loses his mother and father and they turn into, I think it's a little stone monkey that he carries with him and an origami soldier. Okay. But it, it just, something about it just grabbed me. And yeah, as far as kids' films go, it's probably more aimed at your older kids than, yep. say, my little one didn't get a lot out of it, but my older boy really enjoyed yep. it. But, yeah, the, just the way it's filmed, the way it feels, the music, everything about it, I just really dug. So it's I recommend It's meant to be that. good. And, I mean, I love the story behind it and the fact that I think the, the brains, the money behind it is some rich dude who just wanted to make it, mm. as opposed to your Pixar's, your DreamWorks, your Blue Sky, where it's like we're making product. Yeah, I, I don't think they made it to make money. I think they made it because it was a passion project yeah. and they really wanted and to And I've heard it's film. fantastic for mm. that. But yeah, it doesn't have the mass market tie-ins, the Happy Meal, the toys. It doesn't have any of that sort of stuff. It's just a really good animated movie. Hmm. A really well, good story. Speaking of Happy Meals, another movie that I saw earlier this year and really dug as well was The Founder. And that is the Michael Keaton starring as Ray Kroc. The founder... Founder of Maccas. Well, the founder of the, the franchise, franchise of Maccas. Yes. So he took the idea from the McDonald's brothers and he turned it into the worldwide phenomenon that McDonald's is now. And it's kind of semi-accurate. Like after I watched it, I went and did a bit of reading about the true story of what happened in Maccas. Mm-hmm. And they do leave a little bit out, but they, they don't sugarcoat it that they much. They don't paint a picture that he's a nice guy because no. he was an asshole, yeah? Well, he was more of an asshole than he, they, he is in the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. I, in the movie, he cheats on his wife with one of his business associates. But in real life, he actually cheated on his wife twice and then married his business associate sort of thing. But it's really well done as far as just showing what they went through to get McDonald's, the franchise, off the ground. And then how much they then screwed the McDonald's brothers out of the McDonald's name. Yep. So they came up with the original idea. They had their system of how to make the burgers. And then... Ray came along and turned it into the franchise that it is now. Okay. But yeah, it was really good. And again, as far as period pieces go, it's set in the 50s when this all happened and it feels authentically 50s. Mm -hmm. And Michael Keaton's one of those actors where he can pretty much just do any role, but he's still Michael Keaton. But that's what really makes it good for me. The fact that you know it's Michael Keaton, but he is enough of the real person that he should be. Yeah. But I, I really recommend that as well. Cool. Well, I've seen a few movies this year, so I see. Cinema experience for me. Now, you talked about this years ago, and I I poo-pooed on you because you were going to see Thomas the Tank at the cinemas with his kids and things like that. Now, I'm starting to do that. No, I, I love cinema. I've talked about this a lot talk about the Astra all the time. I love going to the cinema. I love the smell of the popcorn, the experience that is. I want my son to have that too. Yeah. So I want that experience to be loved. So I'm, you know, they do show these ABC productions or, you know, whatever. ABC shows, they put them together and a bunch of episodes or something and do an experience at the cinema. So I took my son to see a Thomas the Tank movie and it was actually a movie. It was like 60 minutes long. It was one whole story. Yeah, they do a special every year where they do one long movie. And he, it was his first real. We took him to see, see Sing earlier this year, and that was at the Astor, and that was his first movie experience, and it was loud. It mm. was big. He wanted to go home. 
I was like, this is not a good start. So we did the whole, you know, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock with something you're familiar with, like Thomas. Yeah. And it was, it was great. He loved it. He sat there. The chairs reclined. It was all exciting. You push a button and this stuff happens. And he had his popcorn. It was, he was happy. And he, he was good. I was like, okay. And then they bought out. He loves the Octonauts at the moment. And there was meant to be an Octonaut screening. And we couldn't go for some reason. It was just all too hard and we couldn't do it. And it was like, and it was sort of talked it up and we couldn't. So we knew about it. So I was like, we'll go next week. And the next week it was Hey Dougie. Now, have you seen Hey Dougie? I have, yes. I love Hey Dougie. Like it's a little, very simple animation. It's British. It's very British. Yeah. And it's about these animals that go to like a scout group and the Dougie is the dog that runs it and he just says woof, that's it. And they get different badges every episode. And it goes five minutes. And it's just clever. Like that some of the jokes in there are beautiful and the animation is so simple, yet some of the things they do with that animation to show 3D and things like that is just awesome. Yeah. And I just love it. And so I was like, oh, I'll go say hi, Dougie. I didn't have a problem going to see it because it's funny. <laughs> I've got a friend who's done animation. He's, he's actually won an Academy Award for his short animation. So when he went to England recently one of his production company to deal with him he had a meeting and they said oh we all, they also do hey Dougie and then we were in a meeting and they go we just finished our latest episode do you want to come watch and he's like yeah so I'm like super <laughs> jealous that he got to see it before anyone it's just a great show like it's it's so beautiful in that way and simple and funny some of the jokes yep. are really really funny like I don't have a problem watching this some of the shows that like he watches on the ABC yeah whatever but this one I'll stop and watch it with him and they were brand new episodes and they watched it and they had sort of things in between but it, it, was, it had a good time again but there was one episode the stick badge if you I mean there's only it's where they go out collecting sticks it's funny and they find a stick he's the insect at one bit and they play a stick techno dance song in the middle and it's the greatest thing ever <laughs> and people have seen it on YouTube it's all good imagine seeing it for the first time in a cinema with the cinema sound system it's amazing so yeah that's all I can say that was one of my favourite experiences in the cinema is watching the stick song <laughs> from mm. Hey Dougie didn't expect that did you? no I didn't no <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I've had a few it's been a good comic book here as far as a lot of movies coming out based on comics yes are they all good? Let's get into that. Okay. So, I start the year, probably the first one that came out this year would have been Logan. The old man Logan. Old Hugh Jackman. Old Patrick Stewart. Fucking great. See, yeah. I didn't put it on my list because I only wanted to put things that I enjoyed on my list. Yeah. Well. I really didn't like Logan. I liked Patrick Stewart playing he was, the he was sort of Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's type yep. Professor X. Mm-hmm. But as far as the rest of the movie goes, I didn't like it well, at all. Well, it's more like a movie as opposed to a action blockbuster yeah. in that way. But I really, really dug it. I thought it was great. I also saw, we'll stick with the Spider-Man Homecoming. Great. What's even better? Michael Keaton. Like, it was a good movie. It was a great Spider-Man movie. It was fun. We got to see Spider-Man. It was a John Hughes movie. It was All these sort of elements were great. But Michael Keaton was phenomenal. So Michael Keaton was absolutely phenomenal. Like as a villain that you could get behind, you could understand, you could sort of go, that's, I understand what you're doing and and captivating to watch. As I said before, though, it's the fact that there is enough Michael Keaton still thrown in, even though he's playing another character that makes it believable. Yeah, I, I just... Couldn't get over it enough how much I enjoyed watching him. Mm. And there's a conceit in the movie which I annoyed me when it happened because I was like, oh, don't do that. That's just stupid. But if they didn't do that, you wouldn't have got the scene that followed and that scene that followed was fucking perfect. Okay. So, yeah, it was like he's up there with Loki as probably best Marvel villain now. Mm. Like okay. he's, he's so good. It was so much fun. And it's like, yeah, that's good. 
Now, what else did I see this year? Let's talk about it. All right, Justice League. Now, obviously, as regular listeners know, I'm a massive Superman fan. This is my wheelhouse. I want it to be good. I have justified Batman v Superman. I've justified Man of Steel after long consultation. And to me, Justice League's fine. Like, there is issues I totally understand. I look at it and I see it as a charming mess because of I know all the backstory that went into behind it and you look at it and go, that's a charming mess. They had a go and they did this and they did that. But I understand you shouldn't have a $250 million charming mess. It shouldn't happen. And, and that's what this is. You shouldn't have to CGI out your main character's mustache. No, and it's just there's so many things that are just like, Why? It just was a mess from the start. The problem was Batman v Superman, yes, it made a lot of money, but it didn't get a lot of critical or public like support behind it. Mm. The problem was they're built into this system that they're making. They've given Zack Snyder and that this run-through to make all these movies. They were starting to film two weeks after Batman v Superman came out. They're ready to go. They've done pre-production. They've got a script. They've got this. And people are shitting on the movie going, why are we making a third part to a movie that no one likes? Yeah. So they're course correcting as they go. Like Man of Steel was meant to be this start of something special. Now, didn't really set the world on fire like they'd hoped because he didn't make the right movie. It's a perfectly good independent film if you look at it the way Man of Steel is. It's the birth of the Superman storyline. But it's not the Superman we know. We all, yeah, my age particularly, you know, Christopher Reeve. Yeah. As, uh, and he's this larger-than-life, happy, smiling, saves the world sort of stuff. And he didn't make that movie. People weren't ready for that. I understand what he's made. It's it's an interesting character piece, but it's not what you make a billion dollars on because it's just, that's not the movie. Hmm. So I was like, oh, fuck. So they instead of making Man of Steel 2, we need Batman. That was Batman v Superman. So I was like, what does he do? Oh, he's going to rip off one of the greatest Batman stories ever in Dark Knight Returns by having Batman v Superman. Hmm. Okay. And we'll shoehorn in Wonder Woman in there as well. Oh, we'll throw Doomsday in as well because that's one of the biggest selling Superman storylines. They're pulling all this stuff together. Instead of making a really good story, it's like, oh, we're going to pull the popular stories together. Yeah. So it's course correction as they go. And then they, obviously, they go in, they start filming two weeks after the movie comes out with the script that's like, well, do we really need to do this? Yeah. Unfortunately, with the Zack Snyder, his daughter committed suicide earlier in the year. So he stepped away from the movie. Rumours are, word is, they were going to get rid of him anyway. And they had Joss Whedon on the sidelines to take over because they needed to fix it. Mm. And the fixing is, it wasn't, like, this is technically the third Superman movie. Yeah. So what are they doing? He's still not Superman. Okay. Like, spoilers, he dies at the end of Batman v Superman. Yeah. He's going to come back. So they had this big, long, drawn-out movie where Superman comes back, but he's evil for most of the movie. It's like, you've gone three movies and we still haven't seen our Superman yet, the Superman that people are expecting. People aren't waiting for it. Mm. You know, it's, you're not, it's not like people are buying into this shit and they're waiting. So that's when they got Joss Whedon in. So there's a lots of cuts. And yes, like you said, he's off, made another movie. They've come back, they've reshot. He's got a moustache. They've got a CG it out. And it's very distracting. So you can tell all the new scenes that Joss Whedon did because... They look wrong. And there's it's shoehorned in. It's cobbled together. They've made it. But what it does have is moments. And that's... I'll give it that. There's some really good Superman moments. There's some really good hero moments for everybody. It's fun. It's funny. It's not perfect. Far from it. But I got enough out of it to go, yes, please give me more. We're still course correcting as we go. Yep. But please, we are getting closer to where we should be. Hmm. It's just you're trying to chase Marvel. Stop. Hmm. I mean, ideally, I'd like him to just stop and start again. 
but we're this far in now. It's like, well, yep. if you can just sort of twist and turn and get where we need to be, but just do it properly. Yeah. Like Wonder Woman showed what they can do. Well, let's talk about Wonder Woman now. Yeah, well, I was going to say, if, if it wasn't for Batman v Superman and the little bit with Wonder Woman, we would never have got the standalone Wonder Woman movie. No. And yes, people bagged it. There is probably a lot of things that aren't great about it, but for what it is... The fact that, yes, it's given women and girls a character to look up to and went, this is your hero. Yep. And, yeah, it's it does have its flaws, but by and large, it's a very good movie. That's fine. I mean, the only flaw I have is with every fucking movie mostly is that some light in the sky CG monster you got to fight, and that's mm. boring. Yeah. You know, that's why Loki is a good villain. That's why Michael Keaton's a good villain, because it's actually a person with a gender as opposed to a computer graphic you got to punch. Yeah. And that's the worst thing, and that most Marvel movies do that, you know. First Iron Man, what's he fighting? An evil Iron Man. Black Panther's going to do the same thing. He's fighting an evil Black Panther. Everyone's fighting an evil version of themselves. Yeah. You know, and, and the DC just seem to do these lights in the sky that you got to punch. You know, Suicide Squad we won't talk about. But uh, Doomsday in yeah. Batman v Superman. So I, mean, I, th- I think what really was endearing about Wonder Woman, though, was the background and the build-up of the character. It was when she was the fish out of water taken mm. to the city for the first time. And just the fact that the male character was trying to look after her, but she didn't need looking didn't after need her. Yep. She, was, she was the one looking after him sort of thing. Yeah, it, it's, it was fun. I mean, you look at it and say, well, it's Thor meets Captain America, the yep. first Avenger, because it very much felt like that, but with a female twist. It's like, fine. It's mm. an established character. I was bought in. She was good. I mean, it's that origin story. It very much plays that fish out of water thing, and that's all of that was done competently. What sold it for everyone is the No Man's Land scene, which was kick-ass, and I think the scene after was actually better when they're actually taking down the bell tower. Yeah. It's a great action scene, and it's just awesome. Like, she kicks ass because she kicks ass mm. for no other reason. Yeah. The only thing that's weak about it, I think, is the ending, and that's just a lot of them don't know how to do it. They just There was a few nitpicky things that I will say about it. I think the fact that they used the slow-mo a bit too much. Oh, that's they're, pulling they're, on the Snyder started all yeah. that stuff. And they're, they're, yeah. they're more movie issues, not story yeah. issues for yeah. me. And the fact that, yeah, they, they had other characters that they kind of started to show that they might have a bit of a story, but then they went nowhere. Yeah. And, yeah, that, that slow-mo was great in the first scene when they did it, but we didn't need it in every battle. Yeah, just unfortunately that's mm. the Snyderness yeah. coming through. So, yeah, one on one's great. Justice League had moments, really good moments, and Snyder is a visual guy and some of the stuff he did you could tell was his was good it's just unfortunately it's in this little mess of a film Hmm. that it it did what it had to do but man that shouldn't be this hard it really shouldn't yeah because the simplicity of the marvel films they just get it done and it's just like just fucking so what they need to do is step away from the big ones for a while big characters wonder woman's fine go make a wonder woman too but batman forget him for a while put him on the shelf if you're going to do a shared universe movie make a nightwing movie Hmm. There's no preconceived ideas with Nightwing. He's beloved by the fan base. And then you can have Batman still in there. It's still a Batman movie, but it's a Nightwing movie, and the pressure's off. Go make a question movie or a Plastic Man movie. Make something that people haven't seen before. Don't keep remaking these sort of things. Like, Suicide Squad was such, for me, the right choice. Go and make this movie with a bunch of, you know, misfits. But what did they do? They fought a stupid villain that didn't make sense. And the plot was silly and convoluted. And it's like, oh, just make it simple. Ground it. So, yeah. So, it's getting closer. But how many failures until they sort of just pull the pin all together? So, that's a worry. Like, I love Shazam. They're starting filming that in a month and a half. I'm hoping this is where they start just doing things like, all right, let's go on to the next film. Like, we're going to talk. It was one we've seen together. So, we're going to talk about this. Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Let's go and make this fucking film. Because they've already got the goodwill now. 
Where it's sort of like, oh, we're going to make a comedy. We're going to set it on this alien planet. But All the Thor rules always had the elements of comedy. In them. He was the fish out of water. He was the alien on Earth. Yep. And there was jokes around that. But they've really played up to that comedy in Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. It is more of a comedy film than oh, yeah. a comic film. And funny. Like, laugh out loud funny. Yeah. yeah. And I, I adore that this year. Like that and Spider- oh, I think it's better than Spider-Man for me. Because it was just so fun to be in the cinema. I was talking to a friend about it. I was driving home after watching that. And he, he really knows his cinema to talk and makes me feel dumb when he talks about movies but it's sort of like okay this could hurt Justice League because yeah. you go into Thor you have such a good time you go in because I've heard reviews of Batman v Superman where you come out of that movie going I felt like I've been hit around the head for the last two hours mm. that's not what you want no. from these sort of movies an art film yeah if you're going to go see an art film or a compelling think piece or something that's what you want but if you're paying your 20 bucks to go and have a stupid popcorn movie yeah a blockbuster you don't want that and yeah. it's got to be good if it is so you go see Thor and you feel great. Mm. You come away going, that was fun. And then, as my mate said, he goes, this could hurt Justice League because it's got some bad will. So people are going to go, well, I enjoyed that. Star Wars is just around the corner. I think I might skip Justice League yeah. and just keep this ride going until Star Wars. And I think that, that sort of vibe did happen. Like a lot of people just go, yeah, I'm not going to bother. Because Marvel were definitely on the comedy side of things because we had Guardians of the Galaxy 2 come out earlier in the year. Yep. And I saw that and initially I didn't like it as much as I did the first Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy. It sort of fell into the same problem when we were talking about Stranger Things. That More of the same. Yeah, it was more of the same. But whereas Guardians 1 just came out of nowhere yep. and no one knew what to expect and it was just phenomenal. Guardians 2, there was bits of it that I thought were just brilliant. Yep. But there were other bits that sort of let it down a little bit. Mm. But then on a second watching, I found that the bits that I knew were brilliant were enough to carry it up. Okay, Like the whole scene of Groot being the, the toddler Groot. Yeah, and even in that first scene where they're all kind of protecting him while yep. they're still fighting the bad guy, mm. and he's just sort of doing his own thing, I thought that was very well done. And then again later on, where they're in prison and they send Groot off to to find <laughs> something so they can get out of the jail, yep. just that scene as well is mm. just worth it for the but movie for myself. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. I don't even know how you got that. <laughs> yeah, that's someone's tone. But, <laughs> Just that sort of stuff. And the little throwaway lines. There's like one line where near the end where they're making the bomb. Uh, they're rockets. Like, has anyone got any tape? And it's like, you know, I asked you if you had any tape. Why didn't you say you didn't have any tape? Sort of thing. And just things like that. It just shows that Marvel humor. And then again, with Thor Ragnarok, you had the actual director of the movie playing that rock lord sort of character. Oh, yes. And just his little lines as well. I can't even think what the dude's name is. Um, what's his name? Takia. Taito Kiki. That's the one. Thank you. But d- just the New Zealandness of it. I mean, and that's great because I saw an interview with him and he goes, I need a character and I want him to sound like a Maori bouncer from Auckland. And that's funny to New Zealanders especially. Yeah. Because they know that guy. Being in Australia, we also know that guy because well, Auckland Maoris come over to Australia and become bouncers too. Uh, yeah. They are the loveliest guys. Just don't cross them. Yeah. Like if, if you're good to them, they are the happiest, loveliest blokes you'll ever meet and they have that bouncy attitude and it's awesome and it's a funny character because we all know them. The rest of the world don't know this. Yeah. So it's a weird character for them. But for us, it's funnier. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, yeah, so good. Mm. So Thor Ragnarok was just such a fun thing. Guardians of the Galaxy was good. I ha- to be honest, I haven't gone back. Now you mentioned that scene with Groot. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go back. Okay. Yeah, so Justice League, as good as it was and it had its moments, but the dodgy special effects around it, the choppiness of it all, the just it feels make piece put together. It's just like, oh, I want it to be so much better. 
Hmm. So, anything else you've seen? Well, there, we go there's two other things that I will jump into before we go the ones that we've both definitely both seen. Something that I wanted to see on a personal level was Trainspotting 2. Yep. And that came out earlier in the year and I managed to watch it on Foxtel when it was on. I was a huge fan of Trainspotting back in the 90s when that came out. And this kind of flows really nicely because it is set 20 years after the original. And pretty much all of the original characters are in it and they are 20 years older. And it's now them living up to what they had when they were younger. And the fact that Ewan McGregor's back and in between filming Trainspotting and, and coming back to Trainspotting 2, he's been you know, one of the world's biggest stars because he's been Obi-Wan Kenobi yep. in a Star Wars movie. But now he's back playing Renton. And the whole premise is that he's had a heart attack and they've given him a pacemaker and they've said that he's probably going to live for another 20 years. And now he's thinking, well, do I want to live for another 20 years because my life's a bit shit? And he goes back to Edinburgh and meets up with all the gang that he was friendly with in the first movie and it's similar enough to the first movie that if you're a fan of the first movie you will really like it but it's enough of its own story to really get into and Robert Carlyle playing Begbie Mm. is probably one of my favourite ever villains on a movie because he breaks out of prison when he finds out that Renton's back so he can go and fuck up Renton for the fact that he took the money in the first film and there is just scenes in it that I loved and Mm -hmm. one of those things like you see nightclub scenes in movies and a lot of the time it is nothing like what a real nightclub is but the nightclub scene in train spotting 2 the music is so loud you can't hear what the characters are saying to each other when they're talking and it just feels like a real nightclub yeah but yeah I, I really recommend that okay and another film that came out of nowhere is the big sick mm. which was written by Kamal Nanjiani who we've probably mentioned before when we've been talking podcasts because he used to turn up on the Harmontown podcast quite a bit and he is also in the indoor kids podcast mm-hmm. he was also an actor that was in Pelican Valley yep. a few other things but the story of his life basically and how he met his wife is the premise for The Big Sick. So he met his wife when he was doing stand-up comedy. They kind of went out for a little while. He's Pakistani. He is, yes, Pakistani. He met an American. They kind of went out for a little while, but then they broke up. She has a brain embolism and ends up in hospital. And the hospital ring him because they're the only person in in his phone. And he then kind of looks after her and is the liaison between her and her parents while she's in a coma. And then she comes out of the coma and it's kind of like, well what are you doing here? I thought we broke up something. Mm. But in the meantime, he's then become part of the family almost with the parents. And it's produced by Judd Apatow, so it has that feel of a of his movies. But it's enough of Kamal's story to make it endearing. Yep. And the parents of Emily are played by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. Mm-hmm. And in a, a serious role for Ray, Mar- Ray Romano, he does a really good job in this. Like I'm oh, not, Deborah, oh. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Everyone Loves Raymond because I just don't dig his sort of humour. Yep. But in the serious role, he's great. Mm-hmm. And I, I really recommend this as well. It's a good date movie. It, you could say it's a romantic comedy, but you could just say it's just a nice romance, really. Cool. So, yeah, I recommend that too. All right. Going through my list of things now. All right. Two. I'm going to – oh, actually three. So in the ongoing effort to try and get my son to appreciate cinema, something about cinema that I do love is the drive-in. So we took him to see a movie this year, Cars 3. Now, when I first saw Cars 1, didn't really care. And the more I got into it, it's like, oh, yeah, and the more story behind it, I like the concept of Cars. And then my son listened to the story CD a lot, <laughs> and I had to read it to him a lot. So I know it back the front, the first one. So I don't mind it, I, and he's watched it quite a bit since. So I've seen it quite a few times this year. And it's actually... A not a bad movie, Cars 1. Mm. You know, I, I really like it now. Cars 2, fuck off. Yeah. It's shit. 
Cars 3 is great. Like, I was like, oh, you know, my son's really into it now, so we'll go see it. We'll go to the drive-in, see if he can get the passion for going to the drive-in like I do. And it's it's Rocky 4. Mm-hmm. It's He's old now. Lightning McQueen's the old car. You know, he's the rookie in the first movie. Yeah. This is where he's old. All the new cars are coming through. They're faster than him. And, you know, it's Rocky 5. What is it? You're not as fast. You've got to get some power into you, you know, yeah. and all this sort of stuff. So he's out there training old school while the new ones are all high-tech training, so it's Rocky Four, And it's cool. And it's just this great feel-good movie with that Rocky feeling, you know, where it's like you've got to, the, you fail and then come back and succeed at the end. And it's spoilers. Well, race cars do have spoilers. Yeah, and it's just awesome. And I just really dug it. I just, it's a fucking great movie. And like, you probably enjoyed it more than your son did? Uh, yeah, because he doesn't, doesn't get it. It's just yeah, the thing that he experiences levels. as opposed to that. And I mean, it's, it's, it's got things that happened this year that sort of played on my heartstrings a bit. Same with Guardian of the Galaxy 2. So, you know, it just plays on that. But yes, so that was one that I really enjoyed. Sort of a little film that's doing very well buzz-wise was, was Get Out. Yeah. Which just really solid thriller. Really clever, solid thriller. And deserves all the kudos that it got. Hmm. Um, and that was directed by a, a comedian, wasn't it? Yes, one of the dudes from Key and Peele. I can't remember which one. Yep, so there's that. And one more movie I'll talk about, just before we talk about anything we mesh over, is one of my favourite movies for the year was It, which surprised me. Because hmm. I've not read the book. I've not seen the previous Tim Curry miniseries. Um, I have seen Stranger Things. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's like I did a podcast on Stephen King for Shooting the Poo a couple of years back, and I know a lot of Stephen King movies, not all. I haven't read much Stephen King at all, but he just has a knack of tapping into something, a feeling, and that's what Stranger Things did. It tapped into a Stephen King feeling and a nostalgia feeling as well. And Stephen King does a lot of that. He sets a lot of things in the 50s and 60s. So for him, it was that nostalgia feel. Yeah. And it is a bit of that. Now, I don't know how much you know of it. I've read the book and I've seen the original miniseries, but I haven't seen the new one. So it's told in two time spaces. Yeah. So it's told as them as children and them now. Mm. That's how it's done in the... So this movie is not that. This movie is just them as the children side of it. So I don't know how it's done in the movie. Is it two concurrent storylines or is it literally the old and then the the now? I really can't remember. It's been so long since I've seen it. So it just, it feels like Stranger Things. Mm. Like the guys who did Stranger Things, they wanted to make it and they weren't allowed so they made Stranger Things. But this feels like it's got the kids. What are they? The Losers Club? Yep. You know, and this shit's happening around them. And it's very much that kid thing. Like, E.T.'s the same. you got that stuff where it's like, you just can't tell the parents. They just don't listen. Or they don't tell the parents. They'd fix the problem. But it's scary in the fact that it is a horror film. And Pennywise is pretty freaky and all that sort of stuff. But it feels like an adventure movie. It feels like Goonies. Okay. In the same way Stranger Things is like an adventure movie where the kids are off having an adventure. Yeah. Yes, the stakes are high and it's horrific, but it's not like Saw. You're not feeling gut-wrenching yeah, so weird. torture porn. No, it, it's it's a horror, yes, with the stakes, but hmm. it is an adventure movie where it's a bunch of kids in the summer holidays on their bikes okay. doing the thing. And it just felt great. I, I really, something about it just sort of made me really dig it. And I don't know why. So it's one of, like, I loved all the superhero movies that that came out, but this one sort of stuck with me and it had a, maybe it was a nostalgia feel for it. Because, I mean, in the original book, I think it was set in the 60s and the 80s. Yeah. Where this is set in the 80s. Okay. Because the new ones are obviously going to be set now, part two. Mm -hmm. So it had that 80s nostalgia for me and it played off on that. And it's weird, though, because 
a friend of the sh- not a friend of the show he doesn't listen but a friend of ours Julian James he he saw Justice League and a bunch of you know teenage kids came in he goes oh what a bunch of skin bags is going to ruin the film for me and they were hooting and hollering and doing stuff in the movie but it actually made the movie better for him in the same way I said like with Baywatch before with the comedy if you've got a full cinema that's into it it makes the experience better so these guys were cheering and hooting at the right times yeah. So it made the experience better for Justice mm. League. Like if you were watching in isolation, you'd probably be bored by it. But it's like, no, that's the reaction you want. That's okay. especially with the comedy, you want to be laughing yeah. with everyone with you. And I was watching it with a couple of friends of mine and these teenage, older teenage kids came in, probably 12, 15 of them. And he was like, oh, God damn it. And they were reacting and making noises and talking and everything. And he was getting really angry. My mate's a real cinephile. Yeah. And he was getting really angry with it. But for me, it was great because that's exactly what yeah, it's exactly. for. The reaction is there for that. Yeah. They are scared. So they're reacting to that. They're laughing because it's there. And it was like, no, 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 that's, that's part of the experience. So for me, that really brought it out. So I, I, it just resonated with me for some reason as an experience that I really enjoyed this year. So that was really good. It was well done. The performances were great by all the kids. And it feels like Stranger Things too because one of the kids from Stranger Things is one of the losers club. Okay. So it's, it's very compelling that way. And it was quite clever because it came out just before Halloween. And then when I took my kids trick-or-treating this year, there was a few houses that had the red balloon tied in the drain out yeah, the front of the house. Creepy. That was Yeah, pretty well done. And, that, and that's the thing with Stephen King. He can make the innocuous scary. Yeah. Turn a red balloon into a scary concept. Exactly. So it's really, really cool and clever. So yeah, so that, that, that was a really good experience. I recommend it a lot. Well, earlier in the year, we did actually go to the cinema together and we were very much looking forward to the latest in the Fast and the Furious franchise, The Mm -hmm. Fate of the Furious. Yep. And I must say that it was a good film at the time, but I haven't gone back. I haven't thought about it. No. I I, mean, it's fine. The the racing bits in it were just the stupid racing bits that you'd look at and go, well, do they really even need those racing bits? Mm. But the whole... It's so silly now. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, that's what you want because you can't be serious about it. For me, though, I think they've gone away from being Vin Diesel as the star of the movie. For this one, I think Jason Statham and The Rock carried this film. Yeah, most And you can kind of see that Vin Diesel did nothing. He was just there to be the pivot point for the story. But it was really the action scenes with Jason Statham and The Rock were what made Mm. it. Well, I think that's where they're seeing the franchise going. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was fine. Like, it was a fun cinema experience is what it was. Yeah. But it wasn't Fast Five. No. And again, it's that first experience, how do you tap that again? They've escalated it. And they keep escalating, which is fine. You got the rock kicking torpedoes. You know, it's silly, ridiculous, fun, and that's what you go for. But it's not staying with you in the same way that Fast Five did. No, I saw Triple X three or whatever it was this year, and that was freaking terrible. Because Triple X happened after Fast and the Furious, the first one. Yeah. And Vin Diesel was going to be a star. He was in Saving Private Ryan. He was the star on the rise. He was going to be this, and it didn't happen. Mm. And I think Fast Five brought him back. Yeah. But it's the Fast movies that are doing it. He's not getting other gigs. I'm surprised he's not doing Pacifier too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they sort of, off. Oh, you know, it took a few years from Fast Five to Triple X3 because he, he was too big a star to come back for Triple X2, remember? Yeah, they had it to get Ice Cube. Cube. And now it's like, oh, no, he's a big producer guy and this and that, and he's going to do Triple X3. It was mm. shit. Like, you could tell he wanted to be a Fast and Furious movie and he was trying to build the franchise up again. But it's like, Vin is not the star. Mm. Everything else. And, I mean, Paul Walker's not the greatest actor, but he obviously was a compelling part of those series too. Exactly. And The Rock, the injection of The Rock was huge in Fast Five. Yeah. And you missed him in Fast Seven. And Six. 
There just wasn't enough of him in yeah. those other two movies. Yeah. So, you know, they, they've learnt and they're obviously banking on other things. Mm. But, yeah, he's still a producer, so he's the one on board. But you're hearing there's a lot of problems on set between The Rock and other cast members. Like Tyrese doesn't like The Rock and Vin doesn't like The Rock, so I'm not sure. Because mm. Tyrese would like to make another film soon because I think Tyrese would like The Money. The Rock has 47 <laughs> movies to make and they can't and make... Documentaries and all yeah. the rest of the stuff. And so The Rock well. can't make it for two or three years, so they've got to wait. Mm. And... Tyrese is all on Twitter going, oh, fine, we'll wait for you. Don't worry about it. It's like, well, obviously we know who the star is. Yeah. Yeah. So not disappointing. It's just, yeah, we're after something that is hard to capture. Hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of car type movies, another movie that we saw together this year was Baby Driver. Yeah. That was my big call for the year. Actually, my great expectations from the start of the year, yep. my big breakout hit that no one was going to expect was going to be Baby Driver. And it was very good. Yes. However, there's been certain things happening in the world. Yeah. Revolving around Kevin Spacey that has really tainted my view of this movie. Yeah. Can we get Christopher Plummer in? <laughs> we could. Well, we could just CG him out. No, that's happened. Did the it? new movie that's coming out next week, yeah. All the Money in the World, I think it's called, yeah. something like that. It's got Christopher Plummer as the richest Getty, as Getty, and yeah. his grandchild was kidnapped or something, and he's trying to, he's not going to pay the ransom. Okay. If I start paying now, it's, it's going to always happen. Yeah. It's based on a true story, Ridley Scott directed. That was Kevin Spacey's role up until the shenanigans happened. Mm. In the last few months, they've got Christopher Plummer in to film it all, and it's coming out next week. That's no CGI moustaches here. They've okay. just inserted just a whole new character. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, well done for that, but wow, did they turn on Kevin Spacey. Anyway, so yes, he's in Baby Driver. So the, the premise of Baby Driver is it's a young guy who is a getaway driver for Kevin Spacey who's like a sort of mob boss. Heist guy. Yeah. He, he pulls teams together to do heists. Yeah, and normally he won't do a heist with same, same team, but he has this guy Baby who drives all the time and he suffers from... It's like a Tinnitus or something? Something like Tinnitus, yeah. And he has to listen to music all the time to keep him focused. But when I originally watched this, I wasn't paying enough attention at the start mm. to truly grasp I how wish I'd seen good it this cinemas, movie was. I just never got a chance. But the whole premise is the, the car chases and all the fight scenes are completely choreographed to the music yep. and there is graffiti on the buildings that it's is the lyrics, lyrics to as, the songs. As he and, walks past. Yeah. yeah, it's just really, really clever and it's it is done by Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, who's famous for the Cornetto trilogy. And Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, so I kind of want to go back and watch it again to pick up the things that I missed but mm. then after the whole Kevin, Kevin Spacey, Spacey controversy, I kind mm. of don't. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's a tainted film. That's mm. another thing going back to Justice League. Everything Marvel's done is right. The casting they have nailed. Absolutely nailed. Chris Evans as Captain America is perfect. He is Captain America. Yeah. He comes across. Chris Pratt is fantastic as Star-Lord. Robert Downey Jr. is perfect. Chris Hemsworth, great. You know, and it's all well done. What's yeah. Wonder Woman? Gal Gadot's awesome. Yeah. But Justice League, you got Ben Affleck. He's not liked. No. And he gets tainted in the Weinstein thing. Exactly. Brett Ratner is one of the producers of the Justice League movie. He's tainted because he's an asshole. Yeah. So it's just, DC's just got this taint touch to it all, where it's just like... <laughs> Literal just, taint touch. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, it's just bad publicity after bad publicity. And it's not directed, yep. it's not all, all indirect, but it just compiles, compiles, compiles. And Joss Whedon, the guy who took over, he's screwed around on his misses. This yeah. came out this year. So he's become a bad boy. So everyone is sort of tainted. I mean, Gal Gadot's not. She is untouchable for whatever reason, which is great. But everything else seems to be yeah. just not working at all for the DC thing, where Marvel have not put a foot wrong. It's just great publicity, whatever it goes around. But they just seem to be doing it better. 
Yeah, so the Kevin Spacey thing has tainted and hurt a lot of people, especially with this Baby Driver, which is a very competently made film and it's really clever and it's great. And yet, like you said, it's now it's like, oh. Yeah, I wanted to go back and watch it again, but now I don't Maybe really time want to. will make it. I Maybe, don't I don't know. know. Yeah, so but anyway. let's quickly get through what do we got? One more movie to go. The most recent. And probably the biggest movie of the year. Yeah, it's made a lot of money. Star Wars The Last Jedi, which you only saw just the other day. Yes. Yes. I went to the usual midnight screening with the Gig Do's podcast, and we do it at the Knox Cinema, which is like 700, 800 people. It's through Star Walking Organised, which is the longest-running Star Wars fan club in the world, which is Melbourne-based, and also the Steel Wars podcast as well. So it's like-minded, very rabid fans. It's a great way to see a movie. Hmm. You saw it three weeks after it came out. And I saw it with my seven-year-old and my... My ten-year-old and their two best friends who are eight and nine. Okay, so but if they're into it, and they, they, they coot were. and holler when you want. That's what you want. Out of. I was a little bit worried that my little one wouldn't be enthralled enough to sit there for the whole two and a half hours of the movie, but mm-hmm. I was completely wrong. He was perfect. He yep. loved every minute of it. Mm-hmm. Me, on the other hand, I loved a lot of it, yep. but the bits that I didn't love, I really didn't love. Okay, so I don't know how spoilery we want to go with Star Wars because no, it is go. still in we, the cinemas. Let's spoil. I thought the so whole just go just bye bye if you yeah. if you don't want to know just bye bye yeah no. I, I thought the whole bit on the casino planet was not necessary yep I felt that that was just forced mm-hmm. and they were kind of pushing an agenda on the fans yep I didn't like Benicio del Toro's character who was the code breaker guy I, DJ I, yep. yeah I didn't like him very much either mm-hmm. I the whole mannerisms of the character the the way he portrayed it I didn't like. Yep. I really like the relationship between Ray and Kylo Ren, but I wasn't sure about the whole teen angst getting in each other's heads and talking to each other where Kylo Ren. I call that the on. summer loving bit. <laughs> it was like Greece summer loving. That's what was going through my head every time they did it. But yeah, the high panting tits out, Kylo Ren. Yep. Yeah, but things like that kind of put me off. Okay. I thought Luke was a bit of a whiny bitch, but then Luke is always a bit of a whiny bitch. Exactly. So you kind of have to expect that. And I I don't know. I, I thought the fact that he was kind of being nasty with his training to Ray, I didn't like. But then when the more I think about it, it's exactly the same as how Yoda was with him. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did like that. Yeah. A couple of other little bits. I, I was worried about the Porgs. Yeah. But then when you told me the story of why the Porgs came about. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it's very, it's out there on the internet. Like, oh, did you know? It's like where they filmed the island, where they filmed it, it's got protected species of puffins on there. So they couldn't shoo them away or anything like this. So they was had to deal with it. So it was like, well, we can't get rid of the puffins from the shot. So let's just turn them into aliens. Yeah. yeah, but there was that one scene where Chewbacca was trying to eat his dinner and the porgs were all sitting there looking at him. And for me, that was great. But then you go on the internet now and there's all this butthurt about it of all these people saying, oh, they're pushing a vegan, vegan agenda. agenda yeah. It's just crap. It's just a movie and it's just Chewie trying to have his lunch and the porgs looking at him. Yeah, I, but, it could be. I mean, there's very much like that whole horse racing scene and Rose saying, see, we're bad and they're bad and they're torturing and blah. It's like, mm, maybe, but why not? It's not bad. But, it's not a bad thing to say. It's not like saying Nazis are good. So no. it's not a bad message, but yeah. But I mean, is that message needed in a Star Wars film? You could argue no. Mm. I felt, do we need that personally? But yeah. it's sort of like, well, why not? If it's going to get out to the biggest, broadest population necessary, maybe it might not be a bad thing. Yeah, my take was because of my Man of Steel acceptance 
I suppose we'd call it, going into movies, going, all right, this isn't my movie. I Someone else's movie, I'm here to enjoy it or not. So I, in the same way with Twin Peaks, it's just like, I'm just going to let it happen. I don't have an agenda. I'm just going to let it happen and it happens. So it's a lot easier to go into movies like that. Like when you're going, going, oh, this is going to be the best movie ever, or this is going to be this, and it's not. You have a bad experience. Yeah. So I'm I'm going in, and with the Geek Dudes podcast, I do the host of the show. Fresh is a massive Star Wars fan, more yep. than I am. So I hear his talks on it, what he's been listening to. He listens to all different podcasts and discussions and things yep. like that. So I'm I'm a, I'm abreast of the whole situation, and it's a lot of theories. No one knows anything. Yeah, exactly. So it d- just didn't matter. In the end? Yeah. Like, it's just a movie. I'm going to watch another Star Wars movie. Yeah. I'm on board. That's well, all I wanted to see. And I, I went I got into that. it totally cold. I, I hadn't seen the trailer. I purposely stayed away from anything that was about the storyline. Yeah. And I just went, I'm going to go in here with an open mind and see what I think. Yeah. And, and that's what I came away. And there were bits. Like I said, my initial take on it was take out the whole Casino Planet bit altogether. Yeah. And didn't affect the plot whatsoever. And you could you could back that up. But it's also the plot of the movie is in that. Yeah. Like the more I've read about it and the breakdown of it, it's it's Rose telling Finn is this is the reason for things. And yeah. so her sacrifice at the end to try and save him, that's why. Yeah. You need those moments. So I understand why it's there. It's just really badly done. Take out the whole horses running free through the casino bit. That's so prequel. It felt so much like the prequels. Yeah. It just, that ruined it for me. If anything, that that one scene, take that bit out. They can go to the planet and find and get arrested and all that sort of thing. That's cool. But take out the running horses bit and it would be a better movie for me. I I didn't pick up on it because I'm not smart enough, but I've got a lot more female friends who are like feminists and this and that. So the last few years have been very interesting. Now, we've had Wonder Woman, like you said. Last year we had Ghostbusters with a female crew. And yes, I can get butt hurt. It's like, why are they female Ghostbusters? I didn't care. But other people are. Yeah. But what I'm hearing is from my sister going to see Batman v Superman having Wonder Woman. Yeah. She was nuts for exactly. that going, I've got a Wonder Woman. All these things coming forward, we are getting these female-led roles. Like you talked about your TV shows yesterday or whenever we put up the last episode. Yeah. You know, it's the Big Little Lies. Yeah. It's female-led cast. Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Glow. Feud. Yeah. It's all female-led storylines here. They're your favourite things you're watching at yeah, the moment. Definitely. These did not exist 10 years ago. No. There was romantic comedies, but these aren't romantic any comedies anymore. No. These are female-led and not for tokenism and this and that. Yeah, exactly. This is this is happening. And the interesting take on Star Wars, and this is why a lot of people are butthead because they're dickheads, this is about male failure. That's what this movie yeah, is. for sure. It's, it's Ray telling Kylo you're a dickhead and you're fucked up. <laughs> it's Leia and Holdo telling... Dameron, you're a dickhead and you're fucked up. And it's Rose telling Finn, you're a dickhead and you're fucked up. Yep. And that's that's what this plot is. It's yeah. like, no, male bravado and bullshit, wait, no more. And Luke, Luke's just fucking awesome. Yeah. That's, that's all I can say about the whole movie. Luke is great. Mm. I mean, every scene he's in. Now, people getting butthurt, that's not my Luke. It's like, no, it is. Yeah. He's the whiny cunt who goes, I want to go to Touchy <laughs> Station to get my power converters. Yep. It's still the same guy. He's just 30 years older. Exactly. It's, he's been through some more shit. So yep. it's not like he's going to be... The kick-ass guy, and he did kick-ass. He did exactly what he should have done. I think it's a great version of Luke, personally. I mean, if people are butthurt, that's fine. But that's because they're taking their own baggage and 30 years of expectation with them. Yeah. But I think it was great because it paid off beautifully. Because as much as there's bits and pieces that were like, yeah, it could be made better or filmed better, I think it's probably one of the best looking Star Wars movies I've seen. It's probably. gorgeous. Some of the scenes are absolutely beautiful. Mm. But it finishes strong. It finishes so strong yep. with all the scenes with Luke versus 
the adats yep. and things like that. Yeah. It looks straight out of a bloody Kurosawa exactly. Japanese film and it's just gorgeous. Hmm. And but for yeah. you, you say the bit with the horse race is kind of was yep. your f- worst bit. Yep. Uh, for me, I think the Crystal Foxes. Oh, the Crystal Foxes for me kind of, I looked at that and thought, fuck this movie. But then I thought, no, <laughs> sit down, think about it. <laughs> Don't let a little bit of CGI ruin your film. No, whatever. Yeah, It's a plot device to get where they had to get. They could have done it better with a better script at some points, but those are not deal breakers for me. I never picked up on the whole, it's women yeah. addressing male failure, but I think it's awesome that it is because mm. we are in a different place. And we talked about Weinstein. We talked about Kevin Spacey. It has been a world of male privilege for a very long time. Yeah, exactly. This year has been shit for me personally, but it's been shit for a lot of people. And we are getting to a better place. I hope so. The good place almost. Yeah, exactly. Back. But yeah, so that male failure thing yep. is sort of ties up 2017 really well. Exactly. Like a lot of people got fucked over this year because they've had it too good for too long and we are seeing a change. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot of people. It's not going to be pretty and it's not going to be nice, but we are getting to a better place. And mm-hmm. I think that's great. All righty. Well, we've rabbited on for about an hour and a half now, so it's probably a good place for us to finish this bit yep. of uh, year-end wrap-up. That's uh, movies and Stuff that was 2017. That there was some good Let movies us there. Know how we're wrong, exactly, or what we missed. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably some excellent movies there that we didn't talk about. Oh, there definitely is. I have not seen enough, hmm. and we will be back in a few weeks to look forward next time Ooh. to what we're looking at for 2018. Yes, that is on our radars for so TV let movies. Us no. Or do you want to wait? No, let us know. Yeah, tell us what you're looking forward to. There might be some stuff that we already know, and there might be some stuff that we haven't even heard of yet. Yeah. So, yes. Until then, thank you, Mitch. No worries. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Woody Allen was my man. Was my man. I was a Gary Glitter fan. Favorite clowns were Zig and Zag. Spark the theme if you can. If you can. Rolf Harris shocked me. Who will be next? I don't know what to think. And as for Bill Cosby, I thought somebody must have spiked my drink. What I'm saying is, all my heroes went down the yes bend.
or a bribe or tickets to Ted Nugent's TED Talk or even a Mars bar from the 7-Eleven when no one's looking. You know what I mean. <laughs> 